and welcome to Misinformation, a trivia podcast for ladies and gents who love cool trivia and sticking it to annoying teams at pub quiz. We're your hosts. I'm Lauren. And I'm Julia. Hey, Jewel. Hi, Lauren. I'm, uh, again, so excited to start off our uh, guest timber series. It's guest timber, everybody. Oh, uh, get ready for guests on guests on guests. <laughs> Just stacks of guests as high as, as the ceiling goes. Up. Uh, this what? is great for us because we get to take like a break from and, research and learn things without having to put a lot of effort into it, which is the whole point of guest timber at this yes. point. Yeah. So our very first guest for guest timber. So excited. Joining us today via Skype, we have Holly Ehrenheim. Hello, Holly. Hi, Holly. Hi. <laughs> it's great to be here. <laughs> we're, we're so happy to have you. Um, so you uh, pitched to us. Well, first, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my name's Holly. I am a Taurus. I like long walks on the beach at sunset. Mm, me too. Um, it's good because you live in Florida. <laughs> yeah. I, mean. I do live in Florida, so I could go on long walks on the beach at sunset, but I don't because I'm lazy and I sit on my couch. <laughs> Same. Um, <laughs> um, I currently am a stay-at-home mom to a two-year-old who runs me ragged, oh. um, but he's cute, so he can get away with it. <laughs> That's important. <laughs> Helps. <laughs> awesome so yeah that's me <laughs> awesome and so what is this topic today that that you are now an expert on yes. and want to share with the world well first we're going to start off with a trivia question <gasps> oh okay okay so the category is north american cities okay all right in 2017 this city celebrated its 375th birthday and the 50th anniversary of an event that made it an international tourist destination. Any so guesses? I'm a little, I'm a little spoiled on this. Oh, okay. Uh, I know where this question is from, and I watched <laughs> this on television. But Lauren, <laughs> what do you think? Um, is it, um, is it Woodstock? <laughs> That no, that was no. actually what I guessed, and I was wrong and lost all of my money. Oh, no. Oh, no. I'm sorry to rub that in. <laughs> you got to take a shot, you know? Yeah. Um, so the answer is Montreal, oh. which oh, yeah. is a North American city and held a World's Fair in 1967. Ooh. For the record, Woodstock was 69, which I was pretty confident was correct, but that was all that could come into my head at that particular instant in time. <laughs> yeah, you have like 32 seconds to figure out your answer. It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> oh, FYI, Holly was on Jeopardy. Oh, yeah. I don't think we didn't Hello. mention this. <laughs> Holly was on Jeopardy. That's where this came yeah. from. Yeah, that was my final Jeopardy question that, as I just mentioned, I bet all my money and got wrong. Oh, I'm but sorry. But I couldn't yeah. have won if I didn't do that, I exactly Absolutely. I needed oh, to double my money and everybody else to get it wrong. <laughs> so. yeah. There's a lot of math involved. Yeah. But also another thing you don't think about when you're sitting at home on your couch playing no. along. No, absolutely <laughs> not. I'm very bad at that. So so you are going to be telling us about the Montreal 67 yes. Expo. Yes. Okay. Which I didn't know existed until I started doing research for this. So I'm going to start off with a little bit of history of the city of Montreal. Um, it is currently the most populous city in Quebec and the second most populous city in Canada after Toronto, which I hadn't really thought about, but it makes sense. Um, it is centered on the island of Montreal and a few much, much smaller peripheral islands, some of which were actually built for the expo. 
Oh, wow. Um, it was, I have written down, it was originally known as Vie Marie after the Virgin Mary. It did have a First Nations name, actually two different First Nations names, mm. but I could not find anything about how to pronounce them. <laughs> and I have far too much respect for the First Nations people of Canada to completely butcher the pronunciation. <laughs> That's kind of You it. know what? Yeah. For us to admit that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was like, the rest of this is all French. I can do that. I took French in high school. There you go. <laughs> um, the current name derives from the mountain in the heart of the city, which is known as Mount Royal. Um, In 16th century French, Real and Royal were interchangeable meanings and pronunciations. Um, As early as 4,000 years ago, the First Nations people uh, occupied the island and built fortified villages. Um, The St. Lawrence Iroquoians, who are different than the Iroquois that you and I learned about in elementary school Mm -hmm, from mm -hmm. being in upstate New York, Um, They're two different groups, just similar names. They established a village called Hochelaga uh, at the foot of Mount Royal two centuries before the French arrived. When in 1611, Samuel de Champlain, who now has a lake named after him, um, established a fur trading post on the island and reported that all of the St. Lawrence Iroquoian settlements had disappeared. Oh, (laughs) had they (laughs) disappeared? as to why or <laughs> if he was involved or if <laughs> oh, what geez. happened um when de champlain created a map in 1616 he called the island lee de vie menon after a french dignitary who was seeking the viceroyship of the area which they were calling new france oh yeah yeah um In 1639, a Catholic mission was established to, quote, evangelize the natives. Oh, yeah. That was a popular uh, popular thing back then, evangelizing the the natives. Still kind of is. Yeah. Nope. You're not wrong. No judgment. (laughs) A gentleman by the name of Paul Chomadet de de Maisonneuve led the colonists from France to Quebec. Uh, They were from a village called La Flèche in the Loire Valley, and they came to Canada in about 1642. The territory was ruled as a French colony until 1760, when it was surrendered to Great Britain after the Seven Years' War. Montreal was incorporated as a city in 1832 and became a major railway hub. I didn't actually know this. I was interested to learn Montreal was the capital of Canada, from 1844 till 1849, until a protest mob burnt down the parliament building. Oh my god. <laughs> Those French people. They really hate it. So they were protesting the fact that it was the capital? Or they were just... <laughs> entirely sure about Oh, okay. <laughs> so they were just mad. We hate that the capital is here. Burn Take it! it away from us! <laughs> so... After the mob burnt down the Parliament building, the capital rotated between Quebec City and Toronto until in 1857, Queen Victoria declared Ottawa as the capital of Canada. <laughs> they were like, all right, you can't do it. You can't do it. Fine. This other place. <laughs> totally different. Take it away from both of you. Yes. <laughs> um, also, just a more recent fun fact, uh, Montreal hosted the 1976 Summer Olympics. Woohoo. Yeah. And yeah. I'm I'm a big Olympic nerd, so I was interested to learn that. 
Yeah, it's really fun when you're like looking, you know, studying Olympic history or something, because a lot of people seem to think, well, it's in Canada, so it had to have been a winter Olympics. Oh, yeah, yeah. But no, Montreal did a summer Olympics. Oh, they have a very temperate climate, from what I understand. Yes, I I, the, the research I did actually said they have a, I can't remember how it was phrased, but something along the lines of it has a temperate, distinct four-season climate, which, <laughs> which I don't, so. Yeah, Wow. Exotic. Exotic. <laughs> yeah, if, if you can see out my window right now, there are palm trees. Oh, oh. So I'm also going to give just a little background history on World's Fairs. Please. Which Great. are pretty much only called World's Fairs in the United States because <laughs> we're different and have to make everything complicated. True. Mm-hmm. Um, most of the rest of the world calls them either a World Expo or a Specialized Expo, which are two slightly different categories. Hmm. Or... Exposition Universelle, which is universal exposition. <laughs> um, the best known first World Expo was held in the Crystal Palace in Hyde Park, London in 1851 yeah. under the title Great Exhibition of the Works of Industry of All Nations. Um, it was the idea of Queen Victoria's husband, Prince Albert, and was considered to be the first international exhibition of manufactured products. Uh, there's a great book by Bill Bryson called At Home, where he talks about all the rooms in the house and like mm-hmm. the history of all the objects within it, which is really, really cool. But he opens, the first chapter is about the expo at the Crystal Palace. And it's very interesting. And I had never heard of it before, before reading that book. But I highly recommend Bill Bryson's At Home. So good. FYI. Anyway, sorry, Holly. You can keep going. Um. So until around the 1930s, uh, Expos focused on industrialization. Uh, Later, they came to focus on cultural change and improving national image. Um, I have a quote from the Bureau International des Expositions, the International Expo Bureau, uh, also known as the BIE. They are the intergovernmental organization in charge of overseeing and regulating all international expositions that last more than three weeks and are of non-commercial nature. Mm-hmm. So if someone was going to put on like a Comic-Con for more than three weeks, it wouldn't fall under their purview. I see. Okay. Um, but their quote is, expos are global events dedicated to finding solutions to fundamental challenges facing humanity by offering a journey inside a chosen theme through engaging and immersive activities organized and facilitated by governments and bringing together countries and international organizations, these major public events are unrivaled in their ability to gather millions of visitors, create new dynamics, and catalyze change in their host cities. Oh, that sounds oh, fun. What a PR statement I know. right there. <laughs> I, I literally just copy and pasted that from their website. <laughs> um, the BIE was established by the Convention Relating to International Exhibitions, Uh, Signed in Paris on November 22nd, 1928, with the following goals. To oversee the calendar, the bidding, the selection, and the organization of world expositions, and to establish a regulatory framework under which expo organizers and participants may work together under the best conditions. So I mentioned the Olympics a minute ago. How they pick the city is very similar. Like a bunch of cities put their name in the hat, and Mm -hmm. then they say, no, we're going to pick from you four. We don't like the rest of you. And then they (laughs) narrow it down to somebody. Okay. Um, So there are four types of expos organized under the BIE. There are world expos, specialized expos, horticultural expos, 
and the Triennial de Milano. Ooh. Ooh. That sounds what? I don't know why, but that sounds that ha- like that has delicious food at it. I might be wrong. I might am I wrong? It's in Italy, so it probably very well made, but it, it's not a big piece of it. It's like actually it's the annual meeting of plumbers and <laughs> shut up lauren has nothing to do with food (laughs) but but i'm sure there's like a place to get gelato right next door absolutely yeah Yeah. um so the four different types world expos which are officially known as international registered exhibitions Mm. are a global gathering of nations dedicated to finding solutions to pressing challenges of our time it's really uh, good, specialized like... expos uh, are officially known as international recognized expositions as opposed to registered. Uh, they are global events designed to respond to a precise challenge facing humanity. Okay. Um, Article 4 of the 1928 Paris Convention states that the BIE may grant recognition to A1 horticultural expositions approved by the International Association of Horticultural Producers provided that there is an interval of at least two years between such exhibitions in different countries and at least 10 years between events held in the same country. So a lot of regulations here. Yeah, geez. For a plant show. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, for a come look at my, you know, my succulents. Come on by. I'm just thinking my sister goes every year to a plant show at a local community college. (laughs) (laughs) I'm imagining that level of bureaucracy into this plant show that she goes to. (laughs) Yeah, that sounds like it's very overly and unnecessarily complicated. (laughs) Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but since 1960, the BIE has recognized 22 horticultural expos. Oh, wow. Um, and the Milan Triennial Exhibition of Decorative Arts and Modern Ex- Architecture, commonly known as the Triennial de Milano, is a recurring international exposition held in Milan dedicated to the architecture, design, and craftsmanship. Oh, that sounds cool. Fun and pretty. It sounds pretty. <laughs> yes. The aforementioned Paris Convention states the BIE may grant recognition to the Milan Triennial Exhibition of Decorative Arts and Modern Architecture on grounds of the historical precedence provided that it retains its original features. So if it turned in, turned into Lauren's food fair, it probably wouldn't <laughs> still qualify. Oh, damn. <laughs> to make our I'm, own food fair. That's it. <laughs> um. I also didn't know until doing this research that World's Fairs are still going on. Yeah, it's uh, something that we don't... Yeah, you see, think it's a I, historic I thing. Bef- before Jeopardy, I literally thought the last World's Fair like ever was the 1964 World's Fair in New York City. Yeah. Um, but there are plans for upcoming to like several years in the future. Uh, I've noted in January of this year, there was a Triennial de Milano. The theme was Broken Nature, Design Takes on Human Survival. Wow. Ooh, that sounds wow. dark. <laughs> <laughs> the next World Expo is scheduled for October 2020 through April 2021 in Dubai. The title is Connecting Minds, Creating the Future. Ooh, very hot. There, there. will be the International Horticultural Exhibition Expo 2021 Doha, Qatar in October 2021 through March 2022. And the title is Green Desert, Better Environment. And that just 
for the record, I don't know if it means green as in environmentally friendly or green as in the color. <laughs> yeah, like, let's paint all the sand green or let's like turn deserts into lush growing fields. Well, well, yeah. hey, and Qatar, um, you don't um, know. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a specialized expo uh, coming up January through April of 2023 in Buenos Aires titled Creative Industries and Digital Convergence. Oh. Okay. All right. Yeah, I guess. Oh. <laughs> yeah. That one's not as fun sure. as that. Yeah. I was super interested to learn that it's still a thing because yeah. you don't hear about them anymore. Right. No, I mean, I imagine because, you know, because of technology and because things are happening all the time and people are always throwing like conventions and their own expos in different countries and stuff like that. I mean, just think about like Silicon Valley, mm-hmm. that the world's fair, or the world expo things kind of get lost in the... Because it used to be like the World Expo was like the only thing where this kind of like technology from different countries could be shared and people would go to to like learn Mm -hmm. about new things. Um, But now that's happening all the time. Yeah. And the ones that we probably knew about like historically in America would have been like St. Louis in Mm -hmm. the turn of the 20th century. And then obviously the Chicago one in the 1890s and then the New York one in the 1960s. And it's like people from all around the country would go to that city just to go to this exposition. And it's like you don't hear about that anymore. It's not like the whole city of Rochester is leaving to go to a... (laughs) To go to a con- see some buildings in West Virginia all t- all at once, you yeah, know what exactly. I mean? So, so from April twenty eighth till October twenty ninth, nineteen sixty seven, there was the Montreal Expo sixty seven, which was officially designated as the Universal and International Exhibition Montreal Expo sixty seven. Um, it was originally intended to be in Moscow and timed to consi- coincide with the 50th anniversary of the October Revolution. Oh, boy. Wow. Um, but the USSR withdrew their application in 1962 due to financial constraints and security concerns. I All right. imagine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. <laughs> uh, Jean Drapeau, who was the mayor of Montreal at the time, lobbied the Canadian government to reapply. And the expo was officially awarded to Montreal during the 51st session of the General Assembly of the BIE in 1962 and timed to coincide with the 100th anniversary of the Canadian Confederation and 325 years since the founding of Montreal. Hmm. Uh, Drapeau pioneered the idea of creating new islands in the St. Lawrence River and enlarging the existing islands to house the expo. That's such a huge undertaking. Right. Like, with five build, years. You have five years. Yeah. Let's go. build some islands in <laughs> yeah, the there river. A lot of people who were against the idea simply yeah. because they didn't think it would be finished in time. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, not that they didn't want Canada or Montreal to have the exposure and whatnot. They just, they were like, <laughs> we're going to look like a fool because yeah. this is not going to happen in time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my God. Um, the theme of Expo 67 was man and his world addressing man's social and environmental responsibility. So this was the early to mid 1960s. There weren't a whole lot of women being mentioned. The word man appears over and over and <laughs> over <laughs> in this information. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to throw that out. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, so in May of 1963, a group of prominent Canadian thinkers, including Alan Jarvis, who was the director of the National Gallery of Canada, 
novelists Hugh McLennan and Gabrielle Roy, J. Tuzo Wilson, who was a geophysicist, and Claude Robillard, a town planner, met for three days in a club in Quebec to come up with the expo theme. The theme was borrowed from the book La Terre des Hommes by Antoine de Saint-Exupéry of The Little Prince fame. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the title is usually translated into English as either The Planet of Mankind, which is a direct translation, uh, but it's also been published under Wind, Sand, and Stars, which is very pretty. Oh, very I like that. Yeah. Um, the book addressed the universal problems of humanity. Of which, of which there, uh, are, there many. are many. <laughs> yes. Um, the Expo 67 Corporation published a book entitled Tale des Hommes slash Man and His World. Uh, and in the introduction to the book, uh, Gabrielle Roy, who was one of the people involved in creating the theme, she wrote, In Tale des Hommes, his haunting book, so filled with dreams and hopes for the future, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry writes how, of how deeply moved he was when, flying for the first time by night alone over Argentina, he happened to notice a few flickering lights scattered below him across an almost empty plain. They, quote, twinkled here and there, alone like stars. In truth, being made aware of our own solitude can give us insight into the solitude of others. It can even cause us to gravitate towards one another as if to lessen our distress. Without this inevitable solitude, would there be any fusion at all, any tenderness between human beings? Moved as he was by a heightened awareness of the solitude of all creation and by the human need for solidarity, Saint Exupéry found a phrase to express his anguish, and his hope was as simple as it was rich in meaning. And because that phrase was chosen many years later to be the governing idea of Expo 67, a group of people from all walks of life was invited by the corporation to reflect upon it and see how it could be given tangible form. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, and like, that's, that's really cool. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's um, a little, a little dark. Um, very weirdly emotional for the theme of a huge world expo. Right. But to like... You know, nowadays it feels like if somebody's like, oh, we have to put this big conference together, we're yeah. going to get like, a, you know, someone that plans events and we're going to yeah. get somebody that knows the town it's in. Sure. And like then, you know, people with money are going to tell us what we need to do for this. But yeah. this sounds like it was like, OK, well, yeah, we have some writers and we have mm -hmm. some people who are prominent in the community. We have a geophysicist. Yeah. We have, you know, all different kinds of people kind of coming together so that all of their ideas seem, you know, I mean, without without having any knowledge of how it went on. Yeah. Like, but it seems like maybe they were all taken seriously and that mm -hmm. their ideas may have all been incorporated into yeah, this, which absolutely. is way more like socialist than we think yeah very um a very like cultural forward culturally like concentrated idea like a philosophy in which to grow everything else out of instead of it being like just like practical mm -hmm. ideas yeah that's crazy yes and very polite because it's canadian yes of course <laughs> obviously <laughs> um so with this, it was no longer scientific, technological, and industrial progress alone that were to be presented and promoted in the exhibition, but also man's social responsibility and environmental consciousness. 
Um, from the official guide of Expo 67, which I assume was like a guidebook you could purchase, um, the theme pavilions were Man the Explorer, which can, uh, comprised Man and Life, Man, His Planet and Space, Man and the Oceans, Man and the Polar Regions, Man and His Health. Oh, wow. wow. Okay. This is very educational. Yes. Yeah, there there was some of that, and then there was other stuff too. Um, there was also <laughs> there was also Man the Producer, which had resources for Man and Man in Control, which oh. I can't read aloud without laughing. <laughs> wow! Uh, Man the Creator had the Gallery of Fine Arts, Contemporary Sculpture, Industrial Design, and Photography. Okay. Man in the community had seven displays relating man to urban life and his interdependence on others. Okay. And man, the provider was about agriculture. Um, there was a pavilion called Labyrinth, which was a pavilion of functional architecture designed for the pr- presentation of the multi-screen film in the labyrinth, which I'll mention again in a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, there was also Habitat 67, which was, quote, 158 standard reinforced concrete boxes that combined the advantages of individual houses with dense urban development. That sounds like a that is you know what this is. Building. Without knowing what this is, you've seen this before. Habitat I mean, 67. It sounds familiar to uh-huh. me. It also sounds like mm, a dystopian nightmare. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, it's currently still there and used as condos. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Um, In addition to this, more than 50 countries had pavilions, as well as Canada's Atlantic provinces, their Western provinces, Ontario and Quebec, as well as Maine, Vermont, and New York State each had their own pavilion. Yeah. They were like, we touch you guys. We're going (laughs) to- We get our own shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There were also a ton of privately sponsored pavilions, some of which include Air Canada, the Boy Scouts the Canadian National Railway, the Indians of Canada, which I assume would be the First Nations people, but Indians of Canada was the title of the pavilion. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a Judaism pavilion. Oh, Uh, Kodak had one, which I had to throw in because you guys are from Rochester. (laughs) Um, There was the Olympic House and also the United Nations. Oh, cool. Um, Bell Telephone sponsored the Telephone Pavilion, which featured the exciting Walt Disney Imagineering Circle Vision 360 documentary film Canada 67. Wow. From the Expo... No, wait. From the Expo 67 guidebook. You're on center stage for the RCMP musical ride. On center ice for hockey. On the track at the Stampede. Circle Vision 360 surrounds you with all the fun and excitement of Canada's most thrilling events and its scenic beauty. And then take your children to the Enchanted Forest. See exciting new communication services for the future. All in the telephone pavilion. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What a succinct title. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was the description. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) But Um, I imagine it's like... So you're basically in a dome with a movie that plays all around you. It's not a dome, though. It's like, imagine... You're in a round room. Oh, okay. It projects it on the walls around you. Have you all been to Walt Disney World to Epcot? I have not. I haven't. No. Oh, my Josh God. Josh is nodding over here because he knows <laughs> what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
the the reason I put in the whole description for that is Canada 67, which was the movie I just described, served as the inspiration for O Canada, the Circle Vision 360 film. It says currently playing at the Canada Pavilion at Walt Disney World's Epcot, but it closed for renovations a few weeks ago, I think. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. That's cool. I was reading this aloud to my husband as I was doing it. And I was like, tell me what this sounds like. They just described O Canada. Um, But apparently the film, since the expo closed, the film has only been seen like once for some weird special. Oh, that's weird. You know what? Archives are good for that. Yeah. Archives are good for that kind of thing. Do they have them in the, where are you, the strong museum of play? Is that it? That's, yeah, that's, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) We don't have the Canada exposition film, but you know, somebody somewhere. Yeah, exactly. Uh, The France Pavilion displayed discoveries from Jacques Cousteau's underwater research expeditions in the Man the Explorer Pavilion. The Netherlands brought a model which presented advances in land reclamation. And the Soviet Pavilion which turned out to be the most visited pavilion in the whole expo, uh, probably because of this, they exhibited the original space capsule in which Yuri Gagarin (gasps) became the first man to orbit the earth in 1961. That's That's really cool. That's really cool. Especially because we hadn't gone to space yet. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. That's true. We hadn't been to the moon yet. Yeah. 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 Fix that. That's really cool. Um, in Man the Creator, 180 works of famous painters from 50 national galleries were sh- shown. Mm. Um, during the Expo 67, the National Film Board of Canada's In the Labyrinth, which I mentioned a second ago, and Ferguson's Man and the Polar Regions both used complex multi-projector multi-screen systems. This led to the founding of a corporation called Multiscreen, which eventually became renamed IMAX. The first film under the IMAX name debuted at the World's Fair in Osaka, Japan in 1970. Oh, that's cool. Cool. Um, There was an amusement park built for the expo, which is called La Ronde. Um, When the expo fairgrounds closed every night around 10 p.m., they could still visit La Ronde, which closed around 2.30 a.m. It is still operational. It is currently owned by Six Flags. Oh, hey. Okay. Nice. Nice. When I researched, I saw Laurent. I was like, isn't that a Six Flags park? And <laughs> I figured out it was built for this. And Six Flags was just like, hey, I'm going to buy every uh, amusement park that's not owned by Disney. Yeah. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They have the, so the one near us, Darien Lake. Yeah. They have Six Flags Darien Lake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I grew up around Albany. So I would go to the Great Escape in Lake George, which is now Six Flags. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like George. I went um, there when I was a kid. Like George is nice. It's really nice. I don't know anything about it. We'll go. We'll go. Okay. <laughs> it's a good summer tourist destination. There's a functioning um, Revolutionary War fort there. Yeah. They fire the cannon a couple times a day. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm into that. Yeah, we'll do that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the United States Pavilion was a geodesic dome designed by American architect Buckminster Fuller. Oh, hey. <laughs> I know him. Hey. Hey, hey, that fool. <laughs> Basically, it's, if anybody says geodesic dome, yeah, it's Buckminster Fuller. That's your Fuller. guy. Yeah, that's true. It's funny because I, my background is in science. I'm, knock on wood, hopefully going to nursing school next semester. Oh, great. Uh, Good for you. But, so I took a lot of chemistry and stuff, and there's a, um, 
a carbon structure called Buckminster Fullerene, mm-hmm. which looks like a soccer ball because it the it resembles it's the, same the geodesic. as a geodesic dome, so they yeah. named it after him. Yeah, he really found um, his niche and stuck with it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, in the afternoon of May 20th, 1967, a fire burned away the building's transparent acrylic bubble, but the steel structure remained. Oof. Oh, wow. And apparently not everyone liked the pavilion, uh, including U.S. President Lyndon B. Johnson, who, after a brief visit, was alleged to have said, the homosexuals have had carte blanche in reference to the design and content of the displays. What? LBJ didn't like anything. <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> ah, the homosexuals, they've yeah. done it again. Man, they love a dome, a, a geodesic dome. If I know anything about the gays, <laughs> what? what does that even mean? He's such an asshole. <laughs> Was, I should say, may he rest in peace. <laughs> I don't understand what's so inherently gay about a geodesic dome. Well, my taking from that was that Buckminster Fuller was gay. Oh, and no, sure, of course. That it was his fault, and so everything was their fault. Yeah, I oh. guess. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's hysterical. I love that. <laughs> yeah, I, I really like that as well. Um, also, the Ed Sullivan Show was broadcast live twice during the expo on May 7th and 21st. Cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the expo was visited by many notable people of the time, including Queen Elizabeth II, the aforementioned current U.S. President at the time, Lyndon B. Johnson, uh, Princess Grace of Monaco, um, Jackie Kennedy and Robert F. Kennedy, Ethiopian Emperor Haile Selassie. Uh, Charles de Gaulle, who I believe was in charge of France at the time, but I'm not 100% sure. Yeah, that tracks. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and also Bing Crosby and Marlena Dietrich. Ooh, all the celebs uh, just mingling stars. with the people, looking at polar bears and <laughs> being surrounded by videos of the forest. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> staring at gay domes. It's... <laughs> It was a real hot happening place. Do in 1967. That's I mean. true. I mean, they had like three channels of TV. <laughs> um, the logo for the expo was designed by a Montreal artist named Julien Hébert. It is pictograms of man linked in twos to represent friendship and repeated in a circular arrangement to signify friendship around the world. Aw, that's kind of sweet. The logo did not receive unanimous support from politicians, <laughs> and some tried to have it killed in the House of Commons of Canada. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the legacy of the expo, um, 50 million visitors across the time span of the expo visited when Canada's population was only 20 million, which set a per capita attendance record. Wow, that's crazy. Wow. At the time, it was the second best attended BIE sanctioned World Expo after the 1900 Exposition Universelle in Paris. Um, it's now fourth after Osaka 1970 and Shanghai 2010. Wow. What? Uh, I don't remember hearing about that. I mean, what do well, we know? You're not, not in Shanghai. China, though. That's I mean, true. If, that's true. If all of China went, that's a lot of people right there. Yeah, that'll break every record. Yeah. 
Um, there were several buildings that were demolished immediately after the expo ended, but many continued on through an exhibition called Man and His World, which opened every summer until 1981. Wow. Wow. Oh my gosh. Just like that's really good, like reuse of these things that might have been expected to be temporary. Like I know we've talked about when they had it in Buffalo. They like had a when, Pan Am, yeah. When our boy McKinley, McKinley got shot. Um, mm-hmm. You said that they <laughs> raised a lot of the buildings there afterward because – you know, they, were oh, like, they had other stuff to do. We're not going to we're not going to use these beautiful Beau Arts buildings anymore. Tear them yeah. down. And yeah. like we've seen this with um, places that host the Olympics, too, yeah. is that they hurry up and they build all these structures that are supposed to be temporary. And then a lot of them don't get don't get I mean, reused. And, yeah. you Rio know, right now looks like that. And their <laughs> Olympics were only three years ago. Yeah. Like, some of their stuff was barely ready when the Olympics started. Yeah. Right. <laughs> was that the one where one of the athletes got locked in the bathroom because the doorknob fell off or was that Sochi <laughs> I know both of them sa- seemed rife with <laughs> issues with, like that yeah <laughs> oh my gosh um, the expo site is now a park run by the city of Montreal known as Parc Jean Drapeau after the gentleman who decided Montreal should host the expo um, Buckminster Fuller's Dome is now called the Montreal Biosphere and is an environmental sciences museum. Oh, cool. Oh, cool. It was, it sat empty as a steel skeleton until 1990 when Environment Canada purchased the site to turn it into an interactive museum showcasing and exploring the water ecosystems of the Great Lakes, St. Lawrence River regions. The museum was inaugurated in 1955 as a water museum and is a set of enclosed buildings designed by Eric Gautier inside the original steel skeleton. The Biosphere changed its name in 2007 to become an environment museum. It offers interactive activities and presents exhibitions about the major environmental issues related to water, climate change, air, eco-technologies, and sustainable development. Cool. Steve would love it. Oh, yeah. My husband, totally into it. Yeah. All right. I guess we're going to go. He's going to hear this episode and he's going to want to go. So. <laughs> he's going to be like, well, I, I booked a ticket to Montreal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, as previously mentioned, Habitat 67 is now condos, um, which it kind of was from the start. But uh, Expo 67 is seen as a landmark moment in Canadian history. Um, it sort of changed the tide of how Canada was viewed. Um, in 1968, uh, Montreal was awarded a Major League Baseball franchise, which they decided to call the Expos. That's See? why they're called the Expos. Yeah, I never knew that either. Oh, uh, that's amazing. In 2004, the Expos, however, left Montreal, and they're now the Washington Nationals. So quick related to this. So um, at the museum, some of the papers that I do take care of are by Bonnie Erickson, who she worked with Jim Henson on a lot of the Muppets. She created Miss Piggy, among others. Um, She also went on to have like a really great career designing mascots for Major League Sports. And Yuppie, who who was the mascot for the Montreal Expos, was one of her creations. And then when the Expos left Montreal, um, they traded Yuppie to the Montreal Canadians, making him the only Major League Sports mascot who has changed leagues. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. That's fun, but yeah. I don't like the Canadians. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm a, I'm a hockey fan. I got to go with the Rangers. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's fine. fine. 
Nothing wrong with that. a little side thing, when I was trying to think of a quiz to go with this, when my husband realized that the Expos were named after the Montreal Expo, he was like, you should do something about hockey teams. I was like, except the Expos were a baseball team. (laughs) (laughs) That's why you were on Jeopardy. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Poor guy. Um, (laughs) Um, In the spring of 2017... The city of Montreal and the committee in charge of celebrations for the 375th anniversary of the founding of the city put on a commemoration program, uh, which included exhibits at a number of Montreal museums. Oh, okay. oh cool. Uh, the McCord Museum uh, presented Fashioning Expo 67, focusing on the fashion and aesthetic from the expo. The Museum of Contemporary Art hosted In Search of Expo 67 an exhibition by 19 artists born after 1967 whose work was inspired by the Expo. Oh, that's oh cool. The Stuart Museum presented Expo 67, A World of Dreams, an immersive multimedia experience in which visitors could actually experience Expo 67 through virtual reality. Oh, that's friggin' cool. That's really <laughs> cool. Um, and the City Hall of Montreal hosted an exhibition of photos taken during the expo. Cool. Um, there have been a handful of pop culture references, uh, mostly to the buildings and not actually the expo itself. Um, but an episode of the 1970s television series Battlestar Galactica was filmed at the expo site in 1969. The structures were used to represent an alien city where everyone was killed in a long ago war. <laughs> Oh, jeez. <laughs> <Like, laughs> the scouts came and they were like, this is perfect. We don't have to do anything. <laughs> um, the 1979 TV series Buck Rogers in the 25th century, which I know of exclusively because of its Daffy Duck um, parody. Oh, yeah. Right. Not that fourth and a half century. Um but the actual Buck Rogers in the 25th century used footage to represent the futuristic city of New Chicago. Mm. Um, a 1979 film called Quintet was shot entirely on the expo site during the winter using abandoned pavilions to portray a post-apocalyptic landscape. <laughs> <laughs> I'm seeing a theme here. Yeah, It seems, well, and, I mean, they used, they got to use it. Someone got paid, so. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a Canadian band called always which looks like the word always yeah, but it's oh, yeah. these instead of a w mm-hmm. yeah yeah we um, know all these oh i don't sorry <laughs> it's okay um they released a video for their song called dreams tonight and which they have digitally inserted themselves into footage from the expo because they thought that was the coolest time of canada's history wow um, and then really all their canadian fans but have been like what oh my god it's so expo. yeah <laughs> Canada. Canada. We love Canada. (laughs) I'm much further away now, but I love Canada as well. (laughs) Oh, wow. Um, And so that's what I have about Expo 67. Thank you, Holly. Oh, my God. I never knew anything about this. So this is so interesting. Thank you so much, Holly, for telling us all about that. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank um, Alex Trebek and his uh, question writers too. So, yeah. <laughs> because if I had gotten something easy that I knew, I never would have been inspired to uh, do all of this. And that is a, the definition of making lemonade out of lemons, Holly. 
That's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. I I think I would have preferred to have gotten a big fat check. True. Yeah. I mean, I'm certainly not diminishing that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. So you must have a quiz for us Mm. then. I do have a quiz for you. I racked my brain trying to think of something witty to connect to World's Fair or Expo or something like that, and I came up empty. So my quiz is about things that made their debut at a World's Fair. Ooh, awesome. Question number one. An item that most of us have in our refrigerator right now made its debut at the 1876 World's Fair in Philadelphia. By 1907, 12 million bottles were being produced to ship worldwide. Name this red condiment. Question number two. Suburban dads around the world have something to do on summer Saturday afternoons. Thanks to this invention debuted at the 1855 Exposition Universelle des Produits de l'Agriculture de l'Industrie et des Beaux-Arts de Paris. That would be the Universal Exposition of Agriculture Products, Industry, and Art. What is this machine which you may walk behind or ride on? Question number three. Now they're in every room in every house, but once upon a time, these were a futuristic concept being introduced by scientists. They actually had two separate debuts at the World's Fair, first in 1939 and then again in Living Color in 1964. Name this RCA invention. Number four, even if it's your local county fair and not a worldwide event like a World Expo, you'll see one of these, which made its debut at the 1893 Chicago World's Fair's Columbian Exposition. Name this midway icon, which my sister and I once got stuck at the top of during the Altamont Fair. Question number five, nowadays, exposure to these is limited to only when necessary and attended by a medical professional. At the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis, the images produced by this were being shown off as a curious scientific discovery. What was this discovery? Question number six. Medical technology wasn't the only important thing that came out of St. Louis in 1904. Summer wouldn't be the same without the cooperation of two food vendors stationed next to each other. What tasty treat did they create? Question number seven. At the 1982 World's Fair in Knoxville, Tennessee, Coca-Cola arrived armed with new flavors for fairgoers to try. Which one proved so popular that they bottled it and released it nationwide by 1985? Question number eight. These days, just about every tourist attraction has at least one of these machines. I have a collection of the products from around Walt Disney World. Which souvenir machine, whose product costs just 51 cents, debuted at the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago? Question number nine. I prefer the frosted mini ones, but my dad likes the full-sized ones with boiling water poured over them, something I'll never understand. Which cereal premiered to the public at Chicago's World Columbian Exposition in 1893? And question number 10. Walt Disney was heavily involved in the 1963 World's Fair in New York City. He hired an army of Imagineers to create audio animatronics to dazzle fairgoers at four Disney-created rides. 
three of these attractions are still in operation at Disney parks, two at Disneyland in California and one at the Magic Kingdom at Walt Disney World in Florida. Name them. We'll give you about a minute to think and be back with your answers. All right. How do you feel, Lauren? I'm feeling pretty good uh, up to a point, I think. Yeah. I was like, I got this so good. And then we got toward the end and I was like, yeah. So, all right. Lay it on us, Holly. We're ready. Okay. Question number one. An item that most of us have in our refrigerator right now made its debut at the 1876 World's Fair in Philadelphia. By 1907, 12 million bottles were being produced to ship worldwide. Name this red condiment. I mean... Please. My guess is Heinz ketchup. It's, I'm going to say just ketchup. 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 Just ketchup? Yeah, ketchup. I mean, you can say Heinz ketchup. We're saying okay. Heinz ketchup. Heinz ketchup. Heinz ketchup. It is Heinz ketchup. Nice yeah. job. Uh, Heinz ketchup had been around for a few years at this point, but it was first publicized nationally at the World's Fair. And it took off um, as long as you don't put it on hot dogs in Chicago, you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> so, yes. So, I'm from Pittsburgh. Sure. Obviously. Mm. Um, I've and never heard that. we have the Heinz History Center there, and it's named after Senator John Heinz, but it's so it's a bunch of Pittsburgh history, but also there is a whole level that's all about the Heinz Food Corporation history, and it's great. Oh, yeah. There's like, there's one section that it's they um, made like all this artwork out of like sculptures and stuff out of ketchup bottles Mm -hmm. and then they have like a historical timeline of like all of the products that they've ever made and you know ah it's awesome the whole museum is yeah the whole museum is a great history museum just top to bottom just like a fabulous museum but yeah the heinz part is surprisingly interesting yeah like you're (laughs) like i don't know what am i gonna learn about relish and pick and ketchup but then you're like yeah wow i'm super into this (laughs) i'm super into relish and ketchup Another fun Heinz ketchup fact, if you go on their website, you can buy personalized bottles of Heinz ketchup. <gasps> I, my father puts ketchup on everything. <laughs> and so one year for his birthday, or maybe it was Christmas, I don't remember, I got him a bottle that says, I think it says, this is dad's ketchup, don't touch or something <laughs> like that. But he used it and then he washed out the bottle and... It, they just moved, so I'm sure it's in a box. But before <laughs> they moved, it was on the little table where he kept his keys and his wallet and whatnot. Oh, that's, <laughs> that's cute. That's a really great souvenir idea. Yeah, that's they, a great idea. They recommend them. or I don't know if recommend is the right word, but they 
advertise them as um, wedding favors. <laughs> you get a little <laughs> bottle of ketchup and a little bottle of mustard and put your name and wedding date on them and like tie them together. That's I thought that was super hilarious. useful. That's useful. That is like a million times better than Jordan Almonds. Oh my okay? God. Jordan Almonds are the scourge of the earth. Forget it. Yeah. No, that's a great <laughs> idea, actually. <laughs> anyway, question number two. Suburban dads around the world have something to do on summer Saturday afternoons thanks to this invention debuted at the 1855 Exposition Universelle des Produits de l'Agriculture de l'Industrie et des Beaux-Arts de Paris. What is this machine which you may walk behind or ride on? I'm going to say that's a lawnmower. That is a lawnmower. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine like having to write that out every time? Like, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Today, <laughs> family, I went to the Universal Exposition de l'Agriculture <laughs> at the Beaux-Arts. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's so long. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't name it, but. Um, <laughs> True. Yes, the lawnmower first made its debut there, or as the automatic, I guess, lawnmower. I don't know if that's the right way to phrase it, but. They used to have ones that the blade would rotate, but it wasn't like powered at all. Oh, right. You like, know what I mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You'd have to push it yourself and like, yeah. Um, which I personally have never used, but from what I hear, they're a whole lot harder than using a gas powered one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't have a lawn anymore, so I don't have to worry about oh, that. Oh, that's pretty nice. Right. Yeah. That's a thing in Florida. Yeah. yeah. Just, <laughs> just don't have a lawn. Um. Question number three. Now they're in every room in every house, but once upon a time, these were a futuristic concept being introduced by scientists. They actually had two separate debuts at the World's Fair, first in 1939, and then again in Living Color in 1964. Name this RCA invention. It's going to be the television? Yeah, I'm going to say a TV. Television. That is a television. Cool. Um, Both of those World's Fairs were in New York. Uh, at the one in 1939, they actually had Albert Einstein giving a talk about cosmic rays and how the tube inside made the picture appear. Um, and in 1964, RCA's color television was one of the many groundbreaking inventions on display. And New Yorkers didn't just get a first look. They actually got to see themselves on the screen. Oh, my Ooh. God. I bet that blew a lot of people's <laughs> minds. <laughs> Oh my god! You should do that nowadays. Like walking by, and then your face is on this magic machine over here. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh! Yeah, that's crazy. Uh, question number four: Even if it's your local county fair and not a worldwide event like a World Expo, you'll see one of these, which made its debut at the 1893 Chicago World's Fair's Columbian Exposition. Name this midway icon, which my sister and I once got stuck at the top of during the Altamont Fair. <laughs> I mean, we laugh because it's so sad. <laughs> I mean, that's We're a, sorry. That's a Ferris wheel, but you're going to have to tell us the story. <laughs> that is a Ferris wheel. Um, I don't remember exactly how old we were. My sister's 10 years younger than I am. Mm. So she was like elementary school age, I think. Oh, okay. So she was little. And we decided to go on the Ferris wheel because we had a bazillion times and you know at some point during your ride it's gonna pause so other people get on and off and we got up to the top and it paused and we're watching like drag racing or something like off in the distance there was some sort of mechanical something Mm -hmm. going on over there 
and the Ferris wheel starts up and it goes one way a little bit and then stops. So we're like halfway down and we're like, all right, you know, we'll sit here for a second and then we'll go down and we'll get off. And then it starts going in the opposite direction and we go back to the top. We sit there for a minute and then we go the other way. So we're halfway down again. And then we go back to the top. And then we go the other way. So we're halfway down. Oh my god! We must have been on this Ferris wheel for like 45 minutes. (gasps) It was August. It was like 12 bazillion degrees. Um, This was in New York, not Florida. So it wasn't as bad as it had been. (laughs) There's a reason our local fair is in January. Um, (laughs) But yes. So my sister and I got stuck at the top of the Ferris wheel for what felt like a million years. And you've never gotten back on one since because you spent... All the time you have allotted in this universe. Yeah. yeah. Being on a Ferris wheel. Like, that's it. I hit I, my limit. Now that you say that, I'm not 100% sure I have been on a Ferris wheel. <laughs> um, but the information that I had written down about the Ferris wheel. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> in 1893, George Washington Gale Ferris Jr. was tasked with creating a landmark that could rival the Eiffel Tower, which had wowed fairgoers at the previous World's Fair. To do so, he created a 264-foot wheel that held 36 cars and 2,160 people at once. The Ferris wheel became very popular at the fair, costing each person 50 cents to ride. But this was in 1893, so 50 cents back then? Like, I can't even imagine that you like charging you 25 bucks now or something. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. For for an experience like that. That's crazy. That's That's a lot of people. Wow, jeez. Question number five. Nowadays, exposure to these is limited to only when necessary and attended by a medical professional. At the 1904 World's Fair in St. Louis, the images produced by this were being shown off as a curious scientific discovery. What was this discovery? Those are x-rays. X-rays, yeah. Those are x-rays. <laughs> x-rays were discovered in 1895 by Wilhelm Conrad Röntgen, who was a professor at Würzburg University in Germany. Working with a cathode ray tube in his laboratory, Röntgen observed a fluorescent glow of crystals on a table near his tube. He concluded that a new type of ray was being emitted, and this ray was capable of passing through the heavy paper covering and exciting the phosphorescent materials in the room. He found that the new ray could pass through most substances, casting shadows of solid objects. He also discovered that the ray could pass through the tissues of humans, but not bones and metal objects. And one of the images he famously displayed was an x-ray of his wife's, I believe it was her left hand. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, like, it's like, it feels like every, you know, all of these inventions and stuff we're talking about, it's like if the first time, can you imagine seeing any of these things for the first time? Just, like people must have been screaming in horror constantly. <laughs> like the first movie was like, or like one of the first movies was like a train that was coming at you where people were like literally jumping out of their seats to get out of the way. Yeah. Like I still do that. And I know <laughs> things are not coming out of the TV to get me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like modern modernity must have been terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> like you're like, yeah, see, I'm a person. And then you put, they put their hand behind and got an x-ray of their bones. Oh, their bones. We spend so much time trying to not see our bones. Keeping them inside our skin suits. <laughs> except your outside bones. Yeah, except your outside bones. <laughs> Never forget your teeth are outside bones. <laughs> okay, question number six. 
medical technology wasn't the only important thing that came out of St. Louis in 1904. Summer wouldn't be the same without the cooperation of two food vendors stationed next to each other. What tasty treat did they create? You got this? Uh, yeah, it's a, isn't it an ice cream cone? It is an ice cream yes. cone. Yeah. <laughs> As the story goes, Ernest A. Hamwi was selling small waffle-like desserts next to an ice cream vendor at the fair. Apparently the ice cream guy is not important enough to be named. (laughs) (laughs) When the ice cream vendor ran out of cuffs, Hamwe decided to roll up his waffles into a cornucopia shape so that it could hold scoops of ice cream. The result was the first American ice cream cone. Also, just for the record, uh, there was a lot of food going on in St. Louis in 1904. Mm -hmm. Hamburgers, hot dogs, peanut butter, cotton candy, and iced tea are also thought to have first gotten their publicity at the 1904 World's Fair. Whoa. Where would we be without any of those foods? Any of those foods. I mean, I could probably do without iced tea, but still, (laughs) you know, the principle stands. (laughs) You're banned from the South. I know, I know. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Maybe I just haven't had good iced tea. Maybe that's it. I don't know. I'm far enough south that I'm not really south anymore. I'm in the sixth borough of New York City. Mm-hmm, so. mm-hmm. <laughs> Question number seven. At the 1982 World's Fair in Knoxville, Tennessee, Coca-Cola arrived armed with new flavors for fairgoers to try. Which flavor proved so popular that they bottled it and released it nationwide by 1985? I would say Cherry. Um, what do you think? Yeah, I, I was thinking like a common flavor that we know now that's probably still being done. Like but cherry Coke. I would say like cherry Coke. Yeah, Cherry. Yeah. It was cherry Coke. Yes. They wanted to hearken back to the days of the soda fountain where mm. they had various syrups that the soda jerk could add in. And I guess far and away, cherry was the favorite, which is why you can still buy it today. Yeah. And now you can get all sorts of weird flavors that no one wants. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't want a spicy mango Coke. Just give me, just give me. I don't want spicy mango anything. <laughs> yeah, 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 It's very strange. I don't know. Uh, we all need new stuff, I guess. <laughs> Question number eight. These days, just about every tourist attraction has at least one of these machines. I have a collection of their products from around Walt Disney World. Which souvenir machine, whose product costs just 51 cents, debuted at the 1893 World's Fair in Chicago? Is this like a, uh, you know, I'm just thinking about it now. Is this like one of those squished pennies? Like a penny, yeah. Penny squisher? Mm-hmm. A penny squisher. It is. <laughs> Does that have a real name? I mean, is it? I'm generally referred to as a penny press. Penny press. That's um, better than squish. That may that may be a trademark, though. The it may be like a Kleenex oh, tissue sure, yeah. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but these handy money collectors started their careers at the 1893 fair. The squashed pennies were simpler, with only raised letters stating "Columbian Exposition, 1893." But each machine had seven different designs for the lettering, so tourists could pick their favorite and treasure an elongated coin for the ages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what That's a funny great. Thing. That's cool. Yeah, I never knew where they came from. Yeah, came yeah, from. I thought it was cool. interesting. Question number nine. I prefer the frosted mini ones, but my dad likes the full-sized ones with boiling water poured over them, something I'll never understand. 
Which cereal premiered to the public at Chicago's World Columbian Exposition in 1893? Go ahead. Shredded wheat. Yeah. That is shredded wheat. You put boil. He puts boiling water over it. I always thought. Yes. Because they used to be the big brick. Yeah. You know. That's the ones he would get. They're they're literally like the size of a brick. He would take one, (laughs) put it in a bowl, pour boiling water over it. I guess it was almost like an oatmeal kind of texture or something. I don't know. I never did it. I always thought it was weird. I just thought it was worth mentioning. (laughs) (laughs) Shout out to my dad who will never, ever listen to this. Um, but shredded wheat was at the time being manufactured by the Natural Food Company in Niagara Falls, New York, Hey-o. which became known as the Shredded Wheat Company in 1904, and then was bought by the National Biscuit Company, Nabisco, in December 1928. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. I just remember when I learned that Nabisco was the National Biscuit Company, and that my mind was blown. Wow. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's always fun to find out like the origins of, you know, company trade names and stuff like that. Like Hasbro, the toy company, they're the Hassenfeld brothers. Oh, that's where that comes from. I, yeah, I knew like, it was something brothers. I couldn't have named them. But yeah, it's fun when it's like, yeah, you just it's a word portions. that you just mm-hmm. has always been in your life. And then when you discover yeah, like, that, like Adidas, the guy who founded its name was Adi Dossler. Mm hmm. <laughs> <laughs> and it is not all day I dream about sports. <laughs> is that the corn? No, the corn song is something else, right? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And question number 10. Okay. Walt Disney was heavily involved in the 1963 World's Fair in New York City. He hired an army of Imagineers to create audio animatronics to dazzle fairgoers at four Disney created rides. Three of these attractions are still in operation at Disney parks, two at Disneyland in California and one at the magic kingdom at Walt Disney world in Florida. Name them. Okay. I think we know one off the bat. Okay. Well, it's a small world. Oh yeah. It's a small world. I was definitely going to mention that. Okay. What about the hall of presidents? Is that in? I can never remember which one's in Disneyland and which one's in Disney World. Hall of Presidents is in Disney World. Okay. So and Small World is Small in Small World. It is in Disney World. Okay. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna go with Disney World then. I mean, well, I'm there's gonna, there's two in California. Two in and California. One in Florida, that's yeah. Still. So, so I'm gonna say it's a Small World is the one in Florida. In Florida, yeah. yes. All right. There's animatronics in like Pirates of the Caribbean, but that was. I don't think it was made in the 60s originally. No. Like, I know it predated the movies, but yeah. I don't think that that's it. What else? What else? What else? What else? Um, We're at a slight disadvantage since we have never been to Disneyland. Yeah. <laughs> and I have never been to Disney World or Disneyland. So, mm-hmm. hmm. Uh, I can't think of anything. What are some rides? Mm. You got the cups? You got those spinny cups? You got those cups? Um, get the space mountain those cups <laughs> uh you got your um ooh the dumbo flying dumbos yeah the, mm-hmm. fl- <laughs> the dumbo flying dumbos <laughs> again the official name i don't know yeah i don't i don't think we i don't think we could fathom a another you, disneyland guess so you get partial credit okay great so it's a small world, which was at the Pepsi Pavilion at the World's Fair. 
is at Disneyland in California. Oh. The original. There is one in Florida, but it's a recreation. Oh, okay. But the original one from the World's Fair was packed up in a box and shipped to California. Cool. Oh, interesting. All right, okay. cool. Um, in the Illinois Pavilion at the World's Fair, there was an audio animatronic Abraham Lincoln. Hall who of is not at the, He's <laughs> not the one at the Hall of Presidents, though. Oh, damn it. There's... <laughs> In Disneyland in California, there's an attraction called Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln, which I've never been to Disneyland, so I've never done. But my understanding is it's uh, Abe Lincoln sitting in a chair telling I don't know if he's doing like the Gettysburg Address or, but he sits there and talks to you. Whereas the Hall of Presidents in Florida has every president up to and including our current president. Um, And a couple of historical ones will say things and the current president generally gives a full speech i haven't been since they updated it because they took a you know dragged their feet adding donald trump to it mm-hmm. um i just hope they updated the chairs as well because the last time i was in there the seats were terrible um, <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine being a kid like super excited to go to disneyland and then your parents take you to the talking with Mr. Lincoln. Well, and it's it's just called Great Moments with Mr. Lincoln. So I imagine it's, it's him like, you know, when you turn your pillow over to the cool side, that's a great moment. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not anything to do with his life. It's just him talking about, like, I, simple I pleasures. Like from you mentioning that, I should tell you that they do a thing, which is actually right next to the Hall of Presidents right now, mm-hmm. that it's got... You know Sam the Eagle from the Muppets? Oh, yeah. Who's all Mr. Patriotic? He hosts a thing called Great Moments in History, but only the American parts. <laughs> <laughs> and they, they sing a little song, and it's ridiculous. That's cute. I love him. Um, but anyway, the attraction that is currently surviving at Walt Disney's Magic Kingdom is from the General Electric Pavilion at the World's Fair, oh. and is Walt Disney's... The World of Tomor- Tomorrowland. To- Tomorrow... Future tomorrow, help me. I don't know the world. We've already told, gave her our answer. She's telling us the answer. It's like it's the, too late. It's like the world of tomorrow. Yeah, right. It's Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress. Okay. Oh. <laughs> uh, which is wrong. notable because the theater rotates around oh. a set. Stage. Like you sit there and there's the guy and his dog and he tells you a little bit about the scene in history. Mm. It's always, you know, well, it's just about the turn of a century and this and that and the other thing. And um, I, I love it. I shouldn't sound like so dismissive about it. But then rather than the stage turning, when you go to the next scene, mm-hmm. the whole theater turns. Yeah, that's really cool. So I was at Disney World once when I was eight and it was the worst day of my life. But... <laughs> It's a long story. It's a long very story. dramatic. You know, awful. But um, we were on that. We were on a version of that, I guess, at Disney World, and it kept getting stuck. And we saw the 1940s like four times. <laughs> and all I remember from it is this lady was standing in one of those like fake exercise machine belts that like is supposed to oh, get all the yes. fat off of you. That's what I remember from my trip to Disney World. <laughs> That's it. Is like this this like mannequin lady like standing there getting. <laughs> and I, She's you know, still there. What that what? <laughs> She's still there. Oh Lord. Um, but yes, that the one from the World's Fair is, is here in Florida. It's been updated because the last, I don't know what the last scene originally was, but it's currently 
the future, which looks very 1990s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the fourth ride that Disney was involved in was called the Magic Skyway at the Ford Pavilion, which is not intact anywhere anymore. Mm-hmm. I it you got in a little vehicle of some sort and rode through the past, the present, and the future. Mm. Um, and there were dinosaurs in the past, which are currently in Disneyland in a diorama that you pass on the Santa Fe and Disneyland Railroad. Oh, cool. Oh, that's fun. Oh, so they, they did reuse some of the stuff from it, if not like whole cloth. Oh, good. Oh, that's very cool. That was my quiz about stuff that happened at the World Fair. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> Thank you, Thank you so Holly. Much. And again, I commend you on your question writing. Yes. That was great. That was great. Thank you so much. <laughs> that was so much fun. Um, so yes, thank you so much, uh, to Holly Ehrenheim for coming on our show, uh, kicking off guest timber. Yeah. Kicking off guest timber with a great, uh, topic that we learned a lot about and didn't know anything about previously. Awesome. So yeah, if you have any, um, if you have any comments or questions or whatever you want to pass along to us, um, you can reach us at misinfopod at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at misinfopod. Um, we have a Facebook page, Misinformation, a trivia podcast. And we also have a website, www.misinfopod.com. Uh, you can listen to us on our podcast, on our podcast website. You can listen to us on our you podcast. You can listen to us on if our podcast. If you want to listen to our podcast, you can listen to us on our podcast. Exactly. Don't make us explain it. <laughs> You'll find it, okay? You can find it anywhere you can get your podcasts. Uh, you can stream us on our website, the aforementioned website, and uh, please rate, review, and subscribe. Tell a friend. Just like Holly tells her friends. <laughs> um, so thanks so much for listening, you guys, and thanks again for Holly to Holly for coming on the show. Yeah. And uh, we'll catch you next time. Bye. 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 <laughs> <laughs>